Hey, we're in the series Danger Zone, and i uh, got a couple more weeks to go, so inside your program you'll find an outline. I want to encourage you guys to pull it out. We're going to kind of jump in today's uh, lesson, and then we're going to look at worry. We're going to recap from the last couple weeks. So, you ready? Alright. So, we said at the very beginning of the series, at the top of your outline there, that oftentimes we enter into dangerous places and we know it. And there's cones, and there's signs, and there's you know, slippery when wet, danger, keep out. And we recognize that and we know that. And when we walk into a dangerous place and we recognize it, it puts us a little bit on guard. We kind of were careful. We're not just moving forward in a, in a careless way. We're watching what we're doing. But as we looked at week number one, oftentimes we flatter ourselves. And we're going to look at this next week too as how the enemy wants to literally take our, our, our thoughts and bring us into a, in, into a, a, a bad place in our minds um, but, but oftentimes in our life, we deceive ourselves. We kind of flatter ourselves to believe that the dangerous area that we're in, the danger zone in which we're in, that it really isn't dangerous. It's not going to affect us, that somehow we're, we're going to stay there and everything is going to be okay. And we've said this, that the longer you're there, the more you are to believe that you're in a safe place. And in reality, you're not. And so you convince yourself that there's a safe place. And then you have someone come into your life that speaks into your life and says, hey, you know, you ought to be careful. You said, you know, you're a social drinker, but come on, man. I mean, it's like every day you get drunk every night. They drag you to bed. I mean, I think you kind of cross the line. And then there's that pushback where it's like, no, no, I don't have a problem, right? You got a control problem. You got an issue. I'm doing fine. Everything is fine. And you literally deceive yourself to believe that you're okay. And when you're in that kind of place, it's extremely dangerous. Because it's like walking to the edge of a cliff and then doing kind of some type of dance routine and then wonder when the, when the rock ledge gives way and you begin to fall, you're kind of like, well, what happened? What did I do? Well, you can't play on the edge and figure that you're not going to fall because at some point you're going to. And so God has built in us kind of a warning system that when we get into areas where we don't need to be, there's a little warning light, you know, danger. You're entering into a place that you don't need to be. And if you're not paying attention, you can find yourself in a really bad situation, which is that three in your outline, and that's this, that when you are in a dangerous place and you don't recognize it, that's where trouble really begins to kind of fall on you and you can find yourself in a really bad place, all right? Well, today we're going to talk about something that we all struggle with, Pastor Eric mentioned, and that is the area of worry. Anybody worry here? Is it just the first service? Is that where all the worry words were? Well, here's what worry says to us, and see if I'm right here, all right? Worry tells me, I don't know, this is, this is me, Worry tells me that if I don't do this, if I don't sit and get stressed out and just get consumed with it, if, if I don't do it, you know what? It's going to get worse. It's not going it, to get better. So if I just focus on the bad thing, the whatever the issue is, that, that somehow that's going to prevent it from getting worse. And we kind of feed on that. Worry is interesting because it's self-feeding, isn't it? The more we do it, the more we enjoy it. I jokingly said this in the first service. It's kind of like donut holes. You know? It's like 
One is, is one enough? Two? Yeah, right, you just keep on popping them, right? It's never enough. And worry does the same thing. It just kind of feeds on itself. And, and I thought about it, worry is like a dysfunctional friend. Now, don't raise your hand if you have one, right? But, but here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> if you have a dysfunctional friend, they'll call you up and they're like, hey, let's get together. You're like, okay, yeah, that'll be great. We'll go to pizza, or we'll go have a, a soda, we'll go have a cup of coffee. And you go and you hang out with them, and you spend time with them, and then when you get ready to leave, and they leave, you get in your car, and you start up the car, and you're like, why did I do that? It's just like they suck the life right out of you. Are we following? Right? And and you're like, I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. Ring. Hey, bro, what's going on? You want to get together? Yeah, let's do it. Right? Let's go play pool. Okay, let's go golfing. All right. And then you get in the car. Why did I do it? And worry does the exact same thing. Isn't it true? When you go through that process, and at some point, if by God's grace, he stops you and kind of slaps you on the side of the head, and you do pause for a moment, you're like, I'm never, ever going to do that again, God. Right? And for some of you, it's like five minutes later, oh, what am I going to do? Right? And and then here's the funny thing about life. Regardless of what stage you're in in life, there's always more than enough things to worry about. Would you agree with that? My kids are all grown. My youngest ones will be 19, right? All grown. They got it all figured out. They know how to do their clothes. They know where the, la- the laundry basket is. They know how to do their uh, cook dinner. You know, we succeeded. Now we just got one more to go and poof, we're out and we're done, right? We've been set free by the name of Jesus, right? And so, but, but here's the funny thing. When they're little, you worry about them. Oh, I hope nothing happens and there's crazy people all over the place and we got to watch them. And, and then someone comes, oh, hey, can I go to Bobby's house? Bring, bring, I want Bobby's dad, mom. I want the fingerprint. I want the FBI report. I want all that stuff going on. I want your teacher to come to our house. We're going to vet everybody that you know, right? And then they get a little older and then they get into high school. Then they get, you know, into college and you're still worried about them. Isn't it true? And then they have kids. And then you start the process all over again. Now you're worried as a grandparent. Oh, I want to see the teacher's fingerprints. I want to know who the neighbors are. I'm on Megan's list right now. Where do you live? What address are you at? Right? And and it's just, it's always going on. Isn't it true? And if you have a little bit of money, oh, what am I going to do with it? If you have a lot, where am I going to put it? I'm going to get taxed out of, you know. So it, it just never ends. It just feeds itself, right? It just feeds itself, and it tells us that if we don't, things are going to get a whole lot worse. So here we go. We are going to enter into the danger zone. For the first part of the message, we're going to push back a little bit on you, so get ready to be pushed back. You ready to get pushed back? Number one in your outline, worry derives from an English, uh, a German word, and I'm not even going to try to say it. I tried to get online, and it's way too difficult for me. I'm just trying to master English right now. And so it means to choke or to strangle, right? And that's true. If you've ever sit where you spent any length of time just being consumed with worry, and you finish it, it feels, it feels like you just got wrung out. 
The life has been strangled out of you. You feel tired. You feel fatigued. You, you, you have, you know, your heart palpitates. You got all kinds of ringing in the ears and all those things that are taking place. It literally just strangles the life right out of you. Number two. The second thing is, worry is a... Oh, no, you aren't convinced. Worry is a... And here's why. Because I'm not trusting in the promises or the power of God. Okay? I'm not trusting in the power or the promises of God. And again, I know you want to push me through the wall behind me, but, but here it is. Because we want to, and we've justified it and rationalized it. In fact, we've even spiritualized it. We said, well, I don't worry, Pastor. I have the gift of just being concerned. <laughs> right? It's like, I don't know where that's a spiritual gift in the Bible, but no, because it's in the hidden book, the hidden book of Dan, right? And so, and that's my gift. I mean, you know, you might have the gift of discernment. I got the gift of just being concerned about everything, right? And so we spin it in a way that makes us feel spiritual. But in reality, it's still questioning and doubting God. It's still questioning and doubting God in our life. Look with me in your outline. When I worry, I assume the role of God. And that should be a, probably a little case G. That when we worry and we're consumed with it, that we are taking on the role and the responsibility of God. We are living as if God doesn't exist. And that for whatever reason, when we get in our mindset and we start worrying, we basically say, God, if you could just kind of park over here for this moment, because I'm going to take over, because the underlining thing is, what we're really saying is, God, I'm not sure that you're powerful enough, smart enough. I'm not sure that you have my back. I'm not even really sure you're paying attention. I think maybe you're kind of some senile old man up, on the, up, up, up in heaven, rocking around on a chair, just kind of wondering what's going on in life. And so if I don't focus on it, I know you won't. So I'm just going to take the lead here and I'm going to be concerned. Now, none of us like that, do we? Do we? But the truth is, that's exactly what we do. Look what Jesus says. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and this is a verse we've looked at many times. Do not worry about life. And that word life in the Greek means your whole life. It means your whole life. It, it has the idea that it's, it's your mental life, your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, it's your yesterday life, it's your today life, it's your future life. It's, it, it, it encompasses your whole life. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and body more important than the clothes? Verse 32 goes on and he says, for the pagans, and we've looked at this verse before where we talked about pagans. Pagans don't necessarily believe that God doesn't exist. In fact, some of them believe that there is a creator God. But he isn't interested in our daily life. In other words, he says, boom, let there be, and it was, and he just parked it. And in the meantime, I need to play the role of God because he doesn't know what's going on. And he says, so don't be like the pagans. Why? Because they run after all these things. And then look at the verse. And, what's the word? And your heavenly Father, personalized, right? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So what does worry do? Worry says, God, I, I got to take care of it. I got to do it. I got to consume my life with it. Whatever it is, raising kids, finances, jobs, what, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. 
but, but, but I got to do it because I'm not so sure, God, that you are concerned or know the details of my whole life. And so I need to take on the role and the responsibility of it. And if I don't worry, it's going to get worse. So I'm just going to consume my life with it. And I'm going to lay in bed at night. I know it's 2 in the morning, but I'm just going to sit here and stress about it. And I'm going to allow it to consume my life. Number three. The third thing is this. Worry reveals the condition of my spiritual life. Worry reveals the condition of my spiritual life. Now, as I said last week about anger, that what's in you is what comes out of you, that anger is a picture of your heart's condition. Worry is a picture of your spiritual condition. And we don't like that. But the reality is, you are either excluding God or you're including God. If you're excluding God, then you need to play the role of God and you need to be consumed with everything and you've got to worry and stress about it. If you include God, then you believe he's sovereign. You believe he's in control. You believe he's powerful. You have confidence in him. And when you have confidence in him, it begins to remove the stress, not the problem. It begins to remove the stress that you have in your life. Look with me in your outline. Overcoming worry has more to do with my confidence in God than my circumstances that I'm going through. So worry has more to, uh, uh, overcoming worry has more to do with my confidence in God than the circumstances or the hardships or the troubles in which you're going through. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture is there a promise that you will not have problems in this life. You will not have problems in heaven. But we live in a broken world and we are broken people. And you will have problems. Jesus had problems, right? Not everyone dug him. Not everyone liked him. He was persecuted, ultimately crucified. If you think that you are not going to experience what he did, how does that work? The reality is it doesn't. Nowhere in Scripture does it say we'll be free, regardless of what you may hear, that you just got to keep your thoughts positive and all this other stuff. You you are never going to be free of it. We are called to rise above it, but not be free from it. Okay, so let's take a look. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, and this is a great uh, set of verses, and it's just boom, boom, boom right down the line as he deals with uh, folks who are feeling a sense of being overwhelmed or stressed out in their life. Let me give you a little context, and then we're going to jump into this. Paul is uh, being persecuted. He is being, uh, he's in prison at the time that he writes the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, the goal, the, 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 uh, theme of the book of Philippians is joy, right? And Paul is in prison. The believers, the followers of Christ are being persecuted as well. They're not sure if they're going to live or die. Nero's taking play, is, is going after the believers. Paul isn't sure if he's actually going to live. And so as he writes this, he writes into, to be honest with you, he writes into a far more hostile environment than we are living in today. It would almost be, if any of you watch the news, it would almost be like the believers in the Middle East today, right? That's the environment in which Paul is writing to. 
He's writing to a place where either they're either being killed, persecuted, or put in prison. And in the midst of that, he writes them and he tells them how not to feel overwhelmed with it. So it really fits into our life extremely well. And as I said, it's just kind of a succinct boom, boom, boom right down the line of telling us how to do it. So, so let's take a look. Verse, uh, uh, Philippians 4, verse 4. And here's what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then get ready because I'm going to make a noise. I don't want to startle you. So here's what that verse, here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Listen, rejoice. You're like, okay, all right, I'm ready, Paul. Let's go. What do you want me to do? It's a commandment in which we are to do. That regardless of what we're going through in our life, that there is a way to rise above it, not be free from it in the sense, when I say free, I don't mean that, you, I, I mean that you don't have any troubles. You're going to have troubles in your life. But that we are to rise above it. And so he gives this repetitiveness where he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now when Paul is writing, he's talking about rising above it, not based on being free from it, but based on your knowledge in God. Okay, that your spiritual condition, your confidence in God is going to enable you to rise above the hardship and the struggles and difficulties that you have in your life. You will never be free of it, but you will be able to rise above it in your life. And so he lays out five commitments. And so let's take a look. Number one in your outline is that I commit not to worry about anything. And again, it's kind of a funny thing because probably if you're a person who worries a lot, there have been times in your life where you're like, Lord, I'm never going to worry again. I'm giving you all my problems. I'm laying at the foot of the cross and maybe they had a come forward invitation and we left it at the altar of God and I laid it there and I said, hallelujah, I've been free. And I walk out the door and I get in my car and I'm like, oh no, oh, right? Isn't it true? Right? And so it's a commandment in which he says, listen, stop worrying. You need to stop your worrying about not just bad things, about anything in life. Look what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. So how is that possible? How is it possible to literally lay it at the foot of the cross and be free of it? Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Okay? Now, as I said, worry is a picture of your spiritual condition. Okay? When Paul writes this, there's two meanings for near. Near in the sense of the return of the Lord, that, you know, this is, the Lord is going to return for his church, or it can mean space. In this case, I actually think that it means space. Because if you're going through persecution, and someone's getting ready to execute you, knowing that the Lord is going to return at some point, I don't know that it brings you much peace or joy in your life. But knowing that when you go through troubles in life, and you go through hardships in life, knowing that the Lord is with you in space changes that. Right? That the Lord is with you in space. So let me go back and read this in in the order in which it would be, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Well, how? The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That would be the order in which, if we read it in the verse order, 
That's the way it would be. That based on where God is in his position with us is going to bring us that sense of calmness in our life. To, to recognize that God will never leave us nor forsake us. To recognize that God allows or God, uh, God in, uh, uh, allows into our life certain hardships, but it all flows through his sovereignty and his filter. And as he gives us or allows those things into our life, all of them are to transform us into the image of Christ. Isn't that true? And so when we begin to recognize that everything that comes into our life comes through his sovereign hand and his filter into our life. So in some cases he allows it, in some cases he causes it in our life, but for us to be transformed or to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so as we recognize how close God is, we are able to not stress about it because he is sovereignly in control. And that's why I come back and say that when we worry, it is a picture of our spiritual life. Because at that moment and that time, we are questioning the position of where God is. We're wondering where he's at. Is he near? Is he close? We're wondering uh, all those types of things. And so we take on the responsibility and we begin to be consumed with it. Look with me in Psalms 125 verse 1. He says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, right? Which cannot be shaken and endures forever. Verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem. And so here's this picture to get in our mind. As the mountains surround Jerusalem. As you look and there's mountains surrounding all of you. He says, so the Lord surrounds his people both and forever. Right? And so when we recognize the sovereignty of God. When we recognize that God never leaves us nor forsakes us, when we recognize that, then we understand that He's near and we're able to just trust in Him fully and completely. So we make that commitment. I'm not going to worry about anything. We'll just keep going through. Number two is that we commit to pray about everything, not just the good things. In fact, this is what I would say oftentimes as believers we miss the, the, the transformation in which God wants us to do when we have hardships in our life. We resist it, and yet we all recognize that when God is refining us, He refines us with hardship and fire, not comfortableness. Isn't that true? Right? And so we'll see even on Easter when we look at the miracles of Jesus, you're going to find time and time again these guys are in a place where it's like, Lord, where are you? And he appears to build their faith and give them hope. And he, he shows up at the right time and the right moment. And we push back on hardship. And we push back on trouble. And we don't pray about it. We just say, Lord, just give me the good things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? But in reality, we need to be praying about everything. In verse 6, it says, in everything with prayer and petition which means a detailed request, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That when you recognize that God is near, you recognize that he's sovereign in control, you recognize that he's smart, powerful, and that he has everything in control and everything taken care of, then we can thank him for all things. The good, the bad, or pray for all things, the good, bad, and the indifferent. Number three in your outline is commit to thank God for all things. And that carries over from, point, from the second point, which is, 
we need to thank him not only for the good times, but for the bad times as well. In verse 6, he says, in everything with prayer and petition. It's an attitude in which we have. Do you believe that God is sovereign? And I'm asking you this question. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that everything that comes into your life comes through a filter of his hand? Okay. Do you believe that God's plan is to conform you into the image of Christ? Do you, do you desire to do God's will over your own will? That wasn't a very strong yes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in circumstances, for this is God's for in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, give him thanks in all circumstances, even the difficult ones. In fact, I would again say to you, I would, I would not push back. I would embrace because often God is changing us and conforming us into the image through those difficult times. So I'm committing not to worry. All right? I'm going to pray about everything. I'm going to thank Him for all things. Now let's just stop right here. <clears throat> the difference between prayer or meditation and worrying, you know what the difference is? It's the same. It's where your mind's at. Worry is the exact same thing as meditation. What's meditation is you meditate on the promises of God, the character of God, the attitudes of God. Worry is you exclude God and you focus on all the problems. And you allow it just to go over and over and over and over and over in your mind. Right? Agree with that? So prayer, meditation, and worry, same thing. It's just where your mind is at that makes the difference. Okay? Now let me just do a little plug for next week. <clears throat> How does God change us? And you don't have to know the scripture. But God transforms us by the renewing of our mind. Right? So, you got that? He transforms us by the renewing of our mind. How do you think the enemy pollutes us? Our mind, the same thing. In fact, we'll see that next week. As Paul writes to the church, that he's, he is concerned that their mind is going to be hijacked as Adam and Eve was in the garden. So our mind becomes so powerful. It, it is the difference of rising above or sinking beneath. It's the difference of living a righteous life honoring to God or living in a cesspool and honoring Satan with our attitudes and our lifestyle. It, it become, it's so powerful in our life. So look with me, number four in your outline. Is I commit to think on the right things. You think on the right things? <laughs> Verse eight. Finally, circle the word finally. So this is Paul's conclusion. Okay? Paul comes to his conclusion and he says, finally. Okay? This is going to be how you're going to live above. This is going to be how you're going to not worry about anything. This is going to be how you pray about everything. This is going to be how you're thankful for all things. Verse 8. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and here's the interesting thing is, this is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. Think about such things. This is a commandment in which Paul gives us. That it isn't an option in which he says, ah, you know, if you can, just kind of have positive thoughts. Okay? This is a commandment that as life comes at us and situations come at us, it, it has the idea of evaluating, considering. It has the idea of calculating what's coming at us through this grid if we do it. So as difficult things come into our life, we're asking ourselves, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? If anything is ex- excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. So as they're coming through our life, we have to choose the grid in which we're going to think through them. The problem is when we worry, we throw this all aside because what is worry? Worry is excluding God from the picture. We're living as if God doesn't exist. And if he exists, he's not really interested in the day-to-day operations of my life. And Paul says, if you want to apply this into your life, the thoughts that you have are going to be extremely important for you to have, that it must be a habit in your life. In computer language, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Would you agree with that? So it is in our life. What you allow in the portholes of your soul through your eyes and through your ears that gets into your heart, that's you. That's you. Look with me in your outline. What I think about is what I become. Right? What I think about is what I become. And I just have a couple scriptures. We could have had four pages of this. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What has your mind has you. Right? And let me just throw something in here. You cannot resist. You've got to replace. When your mind is in a bad place, to sit there and go, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, you do. That's why you're doing it. You've got to replace it. This is a principle of replacement. Instead of sitting, oh no, it's going to be bad and the kids are going to happen, this is going to happen at work and we're going to lose the house, all this stuff, right? You replace it. With what? With what's true. What's true? That God wants to conform me into his image. That he never leaves me nor forsakes me. That regardless of what I go through life, that he's with me. And it may be difficult and it may be hard and I might experience persecution. And who knows, I may even do without, just like Jesus did. But regardless, he will never turn his back on me. He will never say to me, psych, just kidding. (laughs) Never. Right? And so we have to not resist it, but we need to replace it in our life. In Mark chapter 7, we looked at a similar verse uh, last week. As we looked at the heart. What's in a man is what makes him unclean. And that's what comes out of a man or out of a person. Proverbs twenty-three or 4 verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. For what reason? For it is the wellspring of life. In other words, if your well is poisoned, then your life is going to be poisoned. Zig Ziglar used to say that, that stinky thinking leads to stinky living. 
And that is true. And it's one line that I took from him years ago that I love because I think that there's so much power in that in our life. And this is Paul's point. If you want to not worry, if you want to be able to pray about everything, if you want to give God thanks for all things, then think on the right thing. Keep your mind where it needs to be. Let me just throw on a couple of these things real quick to what they are. <clears throat> true is the idea of meditation or meditating on the things that are true. Noble it means to, it's a, out of reverence or worship. Right things are in perfect harmony with God. So imagine if you're going through difficult times and you just pause your brain for a moment and you begin to think on things that are in perfect harmony with God. Pure is without sin or holy or morally clean. Lovely is patience. How many of you have kids? How many need to have the attitude of lovely toward your children? Huh? Have patience with those nice little crumb crunchers that God has blessed you with. Right? We're going to sign you guys up for working in preschool. <laughs> Admirable is character. And then, obviously, uh, excellent and praiseworthy is keeping in, within the character of God. So imagine if you're able to do that with your mind, how it transforms about, uh, 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 your thought process and changes everything completely. Number five, and here's the funny one, ready? Commit to do what I just learned. Right? Isn't it kind of funny that Paul comes back, he kind of circles back, and he's like, these guys are a bunch of numbskulls. They're never going to get it. So here he comes back to verse 9. He circles back on it and he says this. Whatever you've learned, whatever you receive, whatever you heard from me, if you've seen it in me, put it into practice. Now, how many of you are guilty of knowing the information but having a difficult time doing it? Right? Oh, yeah, God bless you. The others of you are in denial. So, because uh, that's the truth, right? The doctor says, don't eat. You're like, can I have a double order of that, please, right? Come on. Someone mentioned earlier in the first service, like, Dan, why did you have to say donut holes, right? So my stomach just started crying out, hungry, right? So we got to put it into practice in our life. It's a habit. It's a discipline in which we're doing. And here's the interesting thing is, it's a choice. It's a choice. If you sit and you lay awake at night at 2 in the morning and your stomach's hurting, your heart's beating, your ears are ringing, and you're just stressed out to the level of who knows what, how far it is, you're choosing to do that. That's your choice. You could choose not to, but you're choosing to do it because you believe that if you stop worrying, it's going to get worse. What if you invited God into it? What would that feel like? What if you began to think about God's character and God's love and God's position near you? Would it change the scenario? Would it change your thought process? Because here's the results. Verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, as Paul writes this, he's writing to a group of people that again are being persecuted and he says, listen, here, you know what the world's going to say? The world's going to look at you guys and you're going to be going, you know, we just praise God for his sovereignty and his love and his power. Yeah, but they're killing the people that, that you're with. I know, but God's in control 
and I believe he has a plan and a purpose. Yeah, but Paul, your leader, he's in prison and Nero may kill him. I know, but God's sovereign, he's in control, and he's conforming us into the image of Christ. And Paul says this, when the world looks at you guys, they scratch their head and they're like, what are they on? How can they, how can they experience peace in their life? They ought to be going to a room with padded walls. They ought to be giving up. They ought to be renouncing. They ought to be fleeing for the hills. And yet they're in this idea of they're like, no, no, God's, God's sovereign. He's in control. All things are good. And he says it will transcend all understanding. And his peace will guard, and it's a military term, it will guard your hearts and minds. And then there's this little word there. And this is how. This is how it's going to work. He's going to guard your hearts and minds. And what's the word? And there is the maintaining power of being able to do it. That it is all connected to your spiritual walk with Christ. That you are placed in Him. Now imagine this and get this as a visual. The scripture says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're placed in the hand of God and that no one can remove you from it. So imagine you're my little finger here and you're placed in the hand of God. The, the scripture I read where it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so God surrounds his people both now and forever. And imagine in your mind's eye that he is surrounding you with his fingers, that he is holding you in his hand. That as you walk through life, your protection, your peace comes from your relationship in Christ. And if you choose, you can't do this, but if you choose to pull yourself out of it and do life on your own, you will be consumed with worry because you have taken on the role and the responsibility of God. But he desires for his children to remain in him, in Christ. And when we remain in Christ and we recognize that and we acknowledge that and that's where our mindset is, that's where our heart is, he says that you will have peace that passes all understanding. You will not be free from trouble you will rise above the trouble in your life. And then verse 9 goes on and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Worry, we're going to wrap this thing up. I'm standing here in the danger zone and if you're in a place where this is your life and you know it, don't rationalize it, don't justify it, don't go, oh, it's not a real, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not going to hurt anything. It is a picture of your spiritual condition. And you ought to be concerned about that. Because if you ignore it, you are ignoring the warning signs that you are entering into a dangerous place in your life. And you recognize it because it's choking the life out of you. And you recognize that. Let's pray.